Welcome to East Hills Alliance Church. We are everyday people following Jesus every day. We are in uh, week four, or sorry, week five, last week, of our uh, Thorny Issues series, uh, taking a look at uh, issues that we can get hung up on. And sometimes that is people getting hung up and they just don't feel like they can approach Jesus or approach church because this issue just stops them in some way. Sometimes it is a hang-up for the Christian that they are not sure how to proceed in attempting to do what Jesus has called us to do, which is to love people when they might push back against or be angry about or ask about some of these issues. Uh, We promised that we would not cover everything, Uh, that you all submitted as ideas for this series, and and we are fulfilling that promise. We cannot cover everything. Uh, We have covered a lot of ground um, over the last four weeks, and then uh, Sky did a magnificent job of covering more ground this morning. Uh, As we dig in uh, today, uh, I want to talk about doubt. I want to wrap up our series talking about doubt. Uh, some of you are note takers and fill in the blankers, and you will notice that there are no notes. You'll have to make up your own blanks today. Uh, uh, that is because my hope is your takeaway is maybe not a phrase, but a visual example. So we will do that in just a moment. But I want to talk about doubt uh, this morning. I want to talk about what do we do when our answer to some faith question isn't what it used to be or isn't what we were raised to have it be, or surprises us that it has changed from what it used to be. What happens when we run into some question that we don't know the answer to and we feel like we're supposed to? Like somehow if I was really a good Christian, a good follower of Jesus, I, I would know this. What, what do we do when the faith that our parents gave us doesn't seem to hold up anymore and we're trying to lean on it and it feels very wobbly and shaky? What do we do when somebody we love that we used to agree with on all kinds of faith issues now has very different answers or very different questions or has discarded it, it seems, all together? How do we engage as a church with doubt? A couple of stories. Uh, The first one is about a young lady named Agnes. Agnes, as a young lady, as a teenager, was just full of faith, and faith came easily to her. It it seemed very simple to her. God was with her, and God loved her, and God was calling her to love other people, and she felt called to dedicate her life to following Jesus in some way. It all just made sense not even intellectually, but just her heart and her mind and her soul all seemed to line up with who God is and who he was calling her to be and, and his realness and, and his felt presence. She just knew that he was with her. And so one day in her 20s, where nothing particularly extreme happened, there wasn't one big catastrophic event in her life. It seemed like God simply disappeared that this presence, this closeness she had felt with God was just gone. And she writes in her journals that, that 
there was this huge pain of feeling this void that had been filled with the presence of God and was now just empty. She was still trying to follow God. She's still trying to dedicate her life to Jesus. She's still trying to do the things that she believed Jesus was calling her to do. But now without some of that reassurance of God's presence, without some of the confidence that he was really with her, without really any confidence of his love for her, it all felt so detached. And she went on this way for decades. One time she wrote a letter to a friend, kind of gives an idea of where she was at. She said, Jesus has a very special love for you. But as for me, the silence and the emptiness is so great that I look and do not see. I listen and I do not hear. The tongue moves, but does not speak. She was looking for God. She was uh, trying to listen for God. Uh, she is trying to talk to God in prayer, but can't even come up with the words. Agnes wrote that letter in 1979. She'd been following Jesus for a long time by then. Her name is Mother Teresa. And 1979 is the same year that she won the Nobel Peace Prize. Three months after she wrote this for the work that she was doing in Jesus's name in Calcutta. The church has a long history of deciding that people who have doubts cannot possibly do good things for God. The people who have doubts have so wrecked their faith that to express a doubt is to express such a lack of faith that God couldn't possibly bless or be with or work through such a person. I know a young lady who did not grow up in church, did not grow up with faith, and had no confidence in God as a teenager whatsoever, whose life was really rough, home life was hard, and then some really uh, tragic things happened in her life as a teenager. And she uh, was invited by a friend to youth group. It's not our youth group. <laughs> That's going to become important later. Um, she was invited by a friend to youth group. And again, no church experience other than I, I think maybe a grandmother had some church attendance in her background or something. And she is so overwhelmed with her anxiety and her depression and her mental health struggles that she says, sure, <laughs> why, why not? I'll go to youth group. And she goes to this youth group and they, they pray for her to be healed and comforted and that God would move against her anxiety and her depression. And I think maybe she felt a little better that first night, but you know, you hit reality the next morning and things weigh down on you again. And so she'd come back week after week and I'd say vulnerably ask for prayer or they would offer prayer for her or and after a few weeks, she's still struggling with anxiety and depression. And the youth pastor looked at her and said, so here's the deal. The reason that you're still struggling with this is not because God doesn't want to heal you. It's because you don't have enough faith that he will. Your doubts are the reason. Your lack of faith is the reason. 
why you are still struggling with your anxiety and depression. And she never went back. We have a long history of taking somebody's vulnerability and saying, no, 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 don't bring that in here. No, no, I I don't wanna wrestle with your questions. Here's the easy answer, just do the thing. If you would just believe it this way, then everything will work out just fine. So don't bring the doubts that undercut our faith in here. One of my favorite lines in scripture is actually the key verse in a story in the gospels that I'm actually fairly uncomfortable with for a couple of reasons. But I wanna read the whole story uh, for no other reason than just to get to the line. So we're gonna be in Mark chapter nine. I'm gonna start in verse 14. The setup here is that Jesus and three of his disciples have just had an incredible mountaintop experience. They go up on this mountain, uh, Jesus and three of his closest friends, and Jesus is transformed from being a very clearly human into some sort of figure of light. And suddenly there's two other people uh, with him there. And uh, the disciples that are with him somehow immediately know this is Moses and Elijah. There is this scene of heaven going on on top of this hillside right in front of them. And they come down from that mountaintop experience and they run into the other disciples. And here's how the story continues. Verse 14, when they returned to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd surrounding them and some teachers of religious law were arguing with them. When the crowd saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with awe and they ran to greet him. What is all this arguing about? Jesus asked. One of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, teacher, I brought my son so you could heal him. He's possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever this spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. Then he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. Jesus said to them, you faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. I'm uncomfortable with this story for a couple of reasons. One, um, we know that there are medical causes behind seizures. It is also clear as we continue in the story that there is something really significant spiritually happening in this story and happening to this young man. This story, in my opinion, does not prove that every seizure has a demonic cause. (laughs) It does prove Jesus' ability to see through what is going on to the heart of the matter with all the people around him. Which brings me to uh, the second thing that makes me uncomfortable. Uh, This verse that is on the screen, I would never let my children talk to other people this way. And this is Jesus's words. I think it's really, really helpful and really important to remember that we are talking about a different time and a different culture with different expectations. And if you go to the Middle East today, they are still far more direct than us overly polite Americans. And uh, Jesus is fully human and fully God, and he would not be the first human to experience the jarring that is a mountaintop experience comes down and meets reality. We'll continue. Verse 20. So they brought the boy, but when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion, and he fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. 
How long has this been happening? Jesus asked the boy's father. I imagine him yelling this over the chaos of what's going on. He replied, since he was a little boy, the spirit often throws him into the fire or into water, trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. What do you mean if I can? Jesus asked. Anything is possible if a person believes. The father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. There it is. One of my favorite lines in all of scripture. Because sometimes we treat doubt and faith like they are mutually exclusive things. And in this father, we see what is actually true, I believe, of all of us. That we are some mix in some proportion of doubt and faith and desire. And we see in him a doubt that is overcoming his faith, but a desire to be faithful. Verse 25. When Jesus saw that the crowd of onlookers was growing, he rebuked the evil spirit. Listen, you spirit that makes this boy unable to hear and speak. He said, I command you to come out of this child and never enter him again. Then the spirit screamed and threw the boy into another violent convulsion and left him. The boy appeared to be dead. A murmur ran through the crowd as the people said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and helped him to his feet. And he stood up. I love that Jesus does not base this healing or this exorcism, I suppose, on the Father's fullness of faith. But he honors his honesty and he honors his desire to be faithful. And we see this throughout the Gospels. Jesus honoring not necessarily the fullness of faith, not necessarily the full righteousness of their living, but their desire to be faithful, their desire to be healed, their desire to honor God with their lives. We could tell many, many stories. The woman at the well, the woman caught in adultery, uh, the Pharisee who comes to Jesus and goes, how does all of this make sense? And what do you mean born again? What is that all about? That's a different sermon. Over and over again, we see Jesus honor their desire to be Faithful. In fact, the people that Jesus pushes back against are the ones who are so confident in their own faith that their own faith is all they need. They're so confident in their own ability to be right and to judge rightly that they believe they can come in and have all the answers. Those are the people that Jesus pushes back against. And we kind of see it in this story with the disciples as Jesus comes in and goes, you guys are being fools. You're being fools. If we read a couple more verses, they come to him and go, why couldn't we do that? That was a cool trick. Why couldn't we do it? And, and he says, well, because something like this can only be dealt with in prayer, implying that they were not talking to God about what was going on. They had showed up. They knew Jesus had given them some authority and they were like, all right, we're gonna step up in our authority and our power and we're gonna tell this demon to be gone and it didn't work. This can only be done through dependence on God, through our connection to and our recognition of God's power in our lives and in the lives of the people around us. There is an honoring that happens for Jesus a people's desire to be faithful and a pushback against their overconfidence in their own ability, including their own ability to have all the right answers. And I'd kind of like to just leave it there in our scripture exploration and move on, but I can't because we also 
have this gem from Jesus' brother James that I read again this week. Uh, This is from James chapter 1. Starting in verse 5, James writes, If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed about by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. So on the one hand, we have Jesus honoring the honesty and the desire to be faithful. And on the other hand, we have James saying, if you have doubt, your life is unstable and you can't expect to receive anything from God. So what do we do uh, with this perhaps seemingly uh, seeming contradiction of how the Bible approaches faith? In this room, we have a plethora of different stories. As many sto- as there are many stories as there are people of how we came to Jesus and how we experienced Jesus growing up. Some of us, uh, like myself, grew up in church. We grew up with Sunday school teachers, maybe saying prayers at the dinner table and at bedtime. Some of them really creepy. That's again, that's another story. If I die before I wake. Anyway, um, What are we doing? Uh, Yeah. And as we were growing up, we got to experience all kinds of things about church and about faith and learn all kinds of lessons about what faith looked like. Or maybe we came to faith in middle school or high school and our uh, youth pastor, our youth leaders, our peers, they're the ones who taught us all about faith. They helped build our faith. They helped uh, us decipher what was right and what was wrong and what God's calling us to do and what he's not. Some of us came to faith as adults. For whatever reason, something happened in your life that God got a hold of you and your heart and you came to faith. You said yes to Jesus in your 20s, your 30s, maybe even your 50s or 60s. And you knew that you needed to learn what this faith thing was all about. Maybe you had a church background, but you ditched all of that. You turned your back on all of it. So like how much of that was actually true? How much do you need to build your life around the things that you grew up learning in the 1950s or 1980s or whatever? You knew that you were maybe a little bit behind the times, so you, uh, you needed to catch up. You needed to learn faith quickly. And so you're coming to church every week, You're getting a mentor. You're having somebody walk you through what it means to follow Jesus, helping you figure out how to study the Bible and that the, you know, the the big numbers are chapters and little numbers are verses and all of those kinds of things that seem so natural to people who grew up in church, but so foreign to you. Of course, if you're trying to play catch up, it's not enough to just listen to a preacher once a week. So you're hopping on YouTube or on, on the TV and you're listening to preachers there and you're trying to figure out what is this faith all about? And however we came to faith, our faith is being built. 
brick by brick, we end up building up a faith. If you come to faith as an adulthood, as an adult, as an adulthood, whatever, if you end up coming to faith as an adult, yes, you're trusting other people to help supply these bricks, but you're essentially deciding what bricks go in your tower of faith. Sometimes you're deciding that based on what you read in the Bible. Sometimes you're deciding that based on whether that preacher sounded particularly good that day. That happens. If you were raised in church, this tower of faith, this was built brick by brick for you. And that's, that's actually a good thing. As a parent, part of my job is to build this tower of faith for my kids. Like as somebody who's following Jesus, then as a parent, if this is what I believe is true and what I'm building my life around, every parent's job is to build their child's life around the values that the parent believes are correct and right. So as Christian parents, it is our job to teach our kids, as the Bible said, teach them the ways in which they should go, right? Parents, what that means is that as we have built this tower for our kids, this is our tower in their life. If we want them to own their faith, this is going to have to become their tower and not our tower. Now, again, there's so many stories about how people have come to faith because my experience is having been raised in church and that's my experience as, as a parent. I'm gonna zero in on that one. And if your story is different, I'm, I'm gonna hope you can translate some of this with me, okay? Because I think the experiences that we're gonna walk through are true for everybody. One of the things that happens for all kids, if you've raised kids, you have almost assuredly seen this. One of the things that happens for all kids is they have to find some point as a push-off point to separate themselves from their parents, okay? Some of our teenagers started doing that when they were two. Some start doing it when they're 13, 14, if you're lucky, 16 or 17, okay? For some of you who did not grow up in church, one of your push-off points to separate you from your parents was to lean into faith. But if you've raised your kids in church, one of the things that they may try to figure out is as, as part of separating themselves from you, it may be a separating themselves from your values. And that may mean pushing away from the faith that you have built for them. It may happen. On some level, to some degree, that is a good thing. And here's what I mean. Because again, we want them to take our tower that we have placed in their life and make it their tower. Well, if they're going to take ownership of this tower, they actually are not consciously aware of everything that we have put in this tower. We've been building this for a long time, way beyond what they can remember. And let's be real, as we get older, way, belong, way beyond what we can remember too. We don't remember what's down at the bottom of that thing, but they're going to have to examine what is building up this tower of faith, which is going to mean taking out one of these bricks. Hopefully I'm going to find, man, I built this tower too well today. There's an easy one. Okay, 
Example almost literally fell apart. All right. They're going to have to take out one of these bricks and they're going to have to examine it and go, do I believe this? And they're going to have to do that about all kinds of things. Now, what leads them to do that may make a difference to how rough this process is. Because if it is something really uh, catastrophic in some way, something that we would all look at and go, yep, that is traumatic and tragic, okay? Um, Then they're gonna wrestle with things a little bit differently. But let's be real, their experience is their experience and we can't compare traumas and hurts. Um, Good life rule. Just don't compare traumas and hurts with other people. It doesn't help, okay? So for them, maybe the most traumatic thing that has ever happened to them is that cute boy in math class said no. And, and now they're left with a question like, is God good? Well, no, because if God was good, Joey would have said yes to the prom and I reject that principle. I'm being a little bit ridiculous here, but we're, we watch people do this. And you may have watched your kids do this to some degree. Here's our temptation as a parent, ready? But I put that there on purpose. What are you doing? Like I built that for you. Why are you taking it apart? And we freak out and we want to say, no, 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 let me convince you that this goes back in here. See, if you see right there, see, look, it goes right there. It fits so perfectly right where I put it. That will continue to make this our tower of faith in their life and not theirs. And if they are going to follow Jesus with their life, it's going to have to be theirs. And sometimes that means that parts of this tower are going to sit over here on the side while they figure out what to do with it. Now, sometimes what we have inadvertently taught is that we really are in love with this tower of faith in our kid's life. Not that we don't love them. We also love them, but we also really like... Look at Johnny's faith and how great it is. Look at how inspiring this 13-year-old's faith is. We love this tower of faith. And then they start poking holes in it. And we start going, "Uh uh-oh, that changes the narrative I was telling about my kids. And changing narratives is really hard for all of us. It's also possible that Johnny has taken on, that you really love this tower of faith. And now when Johnny pokes a hole in it, Now maybe he has to hide that from you so you don't know that he's asking a question. Sometimes we have inadvertently taught people of all ages that the only way this tower of faith stands up against all the pressures of the world is if it is really, really solid. So don't question, don't doubt, don't poke holes in it. Otherwise you're gonna make this thing unstable and it might just get knocked over. And so one hole in it is enough for somebody to go, "Uh uh-oh, I think I just abandoned my faith. When all they've done is ask a question. Some of these questions we teach kids at a really, really young age. Some of the things that we build into their tower of faith are built in because they're age appropriate, but because they're age appropriate, they get built at a a really low level on their tower of faith. That makes sense that we're building through the years. So we start down at the bottom 
did Noah really take two animals into the boat? If I'm questioning my faith, this is a question that does not matter to me. If I'm trying to figure out whether I can own my faith, this is not going down near the base. It's down in the base of my faith tower because I grew up in church and we learned a song about it when I was four. But that, which by the way, the verses of Rise and Shine, you really should look them up. Look them up. Um, the animals, they go in by twosie twosie and they come up by threesie threesies. And we teach this song to our kids. Anyway, um, <laughs> why we just stick with the first verse, y'all. Anyway, um, and so they're going to take this and they're going to go, I don't know where this fits in my faith, but I start thinking about all the days and the nights and the time and the poop, and I don't know how all that works. I'm gonna set that over here. And we get a little bit more anxious. Sometimes it's uh, really, really core things uh, that they, they start fiddling with and we start going, okay, Does Jesus love me? Now, I learned this when I was really little because the song says so, right? Jesus loves me, this I know, because the lullaby told me so, or something like that. Actually, I don't feel very lovable, so I don't know that this is true. And so we set that aside. I go, yeah, I don't. I don't know about that one. Sometimes it's stuff they learn at way, way later stages that they start looking at. Can I follow Jesus and sleep with, have sex with whoever I want? I was told that is a no. But I really want it to be a yes. So I think I'm gonna pull that out of my tower of faith and I'm gonna to try to follow Jesus. Anyway, look at all of this. I still have this big, huge tower of faith. I'm still doing okay. I just take this one little brick out and set it over here. Now, <laughs> that starts pulling away at other questions like, can I believe what the older Christians in my life taught me? Uh, do I believe that the Bible is the authoritative word of God? I'm not gonna pull that one out yet or it's all gonna go tumbling. Do I trust in scripture as my authority? No. Do I believe that God is wise enough and present enough and loving enough to really know what is good for me? Well, I certainly don't want to because those older Christian people told me that meant some things about having to restrain myself from what I desire and I don't want to do that, so... No. Is God real? My friends are telling me he's not. I don't really want him to be because I'm really excited about all the freedom and desires that I'm able to go after. I if I just walk away from this whole thing. I still wanna be a Christian because I've still, I still was raised with those Christian values and I think they're really good. And, and I really agree. Jesus was a really smart teacher guy and, and he, uh, he said to love everybody and I think that's really great. Um, so I'm still gonna, but I just, um, so I'm gonna follow the Jesus part, but maybe 
not worry about the, the God thing. And now we see why James said that somebody who is holding on to doubts is unstable like a wave blown about in the wind. Because if you poke enough holes in the tower, yeah, there's a point where it becomes really unstable. That's just true. It's just James observing. It's, it's not a condemnation of God. It is just a, hey, as you go to God, if you're just flying around to whatever it is that your desires or whatever seems popular or whatever you're trying to root your life in, this is gonna be a problem. Because one of the things that, like we pulled out the uh, authority of the Bible brick already. Part of the problem with this is who gets to determine what's true in this tower? Because if you were raised with any amount of faith or if you came to Jesus and you were mentored into faith, somebody told you, Hey, God, like you have said, Jesus not only saved you, this isn't just fire insurance, Jesus is the Lord of your life. He gets to be the one who's the king and in charge. That as we deal with all these thorny issues, we talked about this before, everything we deal with as a Jesus follower comes back and is laid at the feet of Jesus under the thorny crown of King Jesus. That it, that it is under his kingship, kingship that we submit all of this. And so if you start pulling that authority out and now you're the one who gets to decide what is true or not, that gets really unstable really quickly. It just does. Many people who have completely walked away from faith, which we will talk about in a second, talk about how they really miss the assurance of their faith. They're convinced that they needed to walk away. They're convinced that they're right, that all this God stuff is a delusion and is wrong. But, but they miss the assurance because there is something to having some steadiness. Now, here's the other thing that I think goes really wrong. Um, we have taught, again, inadvertently, I think, some, let's say it this way, some of us have taken on, whether we were taught or not, that we, what we really need to get through life is, is a very strong and sure tower of faith. I would like to submit to you that that causes us to stand on this tower like it is our firm foundation, like our faith is our firm foundation and not the one that we have faith in. And so when we, when we do this, when we've taught somebody, hey, you need to have a really strong tower of faith. This is where you're gonna find your firm foundation. This is the solidness of your life as you move into adulthood. When they realize it's got all kinds of holes in it and feels very unstable, they don't know where to turn. The buzzwordy word for all of this right now is deconstruction. Now, I would submit that this level of deconstruction is actually, or at least can actually be part of a healthy process. Again, if we want people to own their faith, they're going to need to take out some bricks and figure out, do they believe it goes back in their tower or not? Do, do they actually believe this thing that they have been handed as true? The problem comes in in our buzzwordy word of deconstruction is that what a lot of people 
mean by that term is not deconstruction, but destruction. That they have taken apart their faith to a point where it actually looks like this. And they're not even sure what they're left holding. And pieces of what they grew up with are scattered around them and they don't know what to do. And our reaction as churches, as parents, as, uh, as people who love them, has been to freak out. Because we worked really hard on that tower of faith. One of the things that, uh, for, for those of you who have adult kids and are ahead of me with my 11 and 14 year old, um, I just want to acknowledge that I don't know what it is like to walk in your shoes as you and your kids wrestle with the faith that you gave them, that you raised them up in. I know part of my story as a youth pastor is um, uh, because I really like numbers and percentages, um, there was a day a few months ago where I was going to try to figure out um, how many of the youth group kids that I had a regular relationship with are actually still following Jesus. And I got far enough into that process to stop, and I don't know the number, I just know it's depressing. Um, and you pour a lot of love and care and truth into somebody, and you want that to matter. Um, and at some point in their process of trying to make their faith their own, they pull out enough stuff that something comes along and sideswipes them. Or maybe they were holding on to their tower of faith pretty well, but, but a couple of things just really rocked them. And this thing that they believed because their parents told them over and over and over again, if, if you'll just trust Jesus, he'll protect you. You'll be safe. Life will go okay. And then life doesn't. And the whole thing just seems to topple in a matter of weeks or months. And they're left standing in the rubble. If this, is, if this is you, if this is what your faith looks like right now, despite what some hopefully loving and concerned church people told you, uh, God has not abandoned you and has not turned your back on you, has not turned his back on you because your faith looks like this. Now, you may want him to. You, you may have fully turned your back on him. I just am telling you that I fully believe he has not turned his back on you. And that as you stand in the midst of this rubble, trying to figure out what values you pick and pull from this, what values you're going to build your life on now, because everybody has to have some that they build their life on. That I really believe Jesus is standing next to you. His feet just as in this rubble as yours are, looking around going, well, this is quite a mess, isn't it? <laughs> and that if you want him to, he will put his arm around you and he will pick up brick by brick and he will go, let's talk about this one. Maybe this is you because you're somebody who you know Jesus is real and you want to have a good, strong faith, but something just wrecked it 
and you want to be following God, and you just don't know where to go from here. Maybe you see this pile, and you think of somebody that you love. who's standing in the rubble of what you tried so hard to help them with. And our temptation, especially I think as parents, is to come along and go, no, 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 no. You see, so you forgot. You forgot that these things are true. So let's just put this back together. And this will be fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's just, it's, uh, it's a flesh wound. It's fine. Just a little damage. It'll be okay. See, look, look, we can rebuild it. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. And even parents, if you succeeded at this, what is this? This is your tower, not theirs. I would like to submit to you something that is way, way, way easier to say than to actually do. If Jesus is standing with them in the middle of this rubble, we should be too. And I cannot tell you what that looks like or how to do it well. I have some ideas. (laughs) The same James who said, hey, this tower can get really shaky if you're not careful, said that we are all supposed to be quick to listen and slow to speak, and slow to get angry. And when somebody knocks down something that you work so hard on, it's really easy to get angry. If we can start with listening, I think we start at least with the same posture that Jesus is starting with. And listening is really hard when what somebody you love is telling you is a bunch of stuff that you don't believe is true or flies in the face of what you know to be true. I really think that people are exploring what it means to have a tower of faith a lot more than we give them credit for, especially those who have knocked this down with a wrecking ball. but I wonder what points of agreement we might be able to find. Maybe it's simply, is there a God? I mean, any sort of tower of faith in God is gonna have to start somewhere, right? Is there a God? Sure, okay. Let's restart together. Is there a God? Did God create the world? Oh, okay, so, uh, sure, yeah, I think the world is too complex to, uh, to just have happened. Um, so maybe God just said, bang, and it happened. Okay, great, there's a big bang, God did it, God made the world. Did God make the world in six days? For some of y'all, This was a very core foundational brick. And the person you love says, nah. Or I think it'd be fairly appropriate at this point in the process for them to go and for you to go, you know what? That can be higher up the tower. We will, we'll come back to that one. Okay. Does God love? Maybe we have to start before that. Is God good? 
Look, you may have been following Jesus for 60 years. This may be a good brick to tap on and go, do I believe this? Because it's holding up a lot. And if we get this one knocked out from under us, that's gonna lead to some instability. It's okay to ask the questions. Is God good? Sure, okay. God is good. Is God loving? Okay, if God is good, God loves, sure. Does God love me? I don't know that I'm ready to deal with that one yet. Okay, we'll set it aside. I want you to know that he does, but, but okay. Is God powerful? Sure, yeah, God has the power to intervene with stuff. It's part of why I'm mad at him. I don't understand why he doesn't intervene with things. Sure, God is powerful. Is God smart? Sure, if there's a God, he's probably all-knowing. Okay. Is God wise enough, present enough, and loving enough to know what is good for me? I don't know if I want to say yes to this one, but sure, let's see what happens if I do. Okay, well, we, I mean, we can, we can build. <laughs> we can build from there. We, God is present with you. God has told you what is good for you in Scripture. He does it out of his love for you. Remember this one we laid aside? He, he, loves, he loves you. We can build that on here. Um, uh, hey, let's talk about Jesus. Because Jesus is actually a really logical outcome of a God who loves you and wants to rescue you from all of the pain that this world causes. Okay. Okay, was Jesus real? Sure, sure, we can do that. Did Jesus die? Yeah, sure, people die. Okay. Um, uh, was Jesus God? Well, I don't really know how that works, but sure, I, I can figure that. Like, we can, we can talk about that because I, I already put in a brick here about the Bible telling me what's good, and it says... That, did Jesus rise from the dead? Yeah, okay, um, sure. Uh, does God love me enough that I will rise from the dead too? Yeah, and slowly but surely, you rebuild a tower some things scattered on the ground that you may never get to, a bunch of stuff that you go, yeah, they taught me that was really important, but um, turns out that uh, how I vote does not matter very much to my tower of faith. I'll just ditch it, okay? Or at least you don't have to vote for the same party your parents did. Okay. I think my tower of faith personally was a lot more impressive when I was 18 years old. Mostly because I made sure that all the bricks that I took back out of it or weren't in there were in the back so nobody could see them. And my tower got really tall. I had a lot of faith. I was really confident in what God could do. 
was really confident that God would do what I wanted him to do. <laughs> I think maybe today, and maybe this is going to frighten some of you, but I think today maybe my tower looks more like this. That there's a lot of stuff that I was raised with that I can kind of set aside and go, I am very happy to discuss it and even argue about this brick, but it's not going to make up my tower of faith. It is not the things that I'm willing to die for. My tower of faith is not as impressive as it once was, or maybe even as I would like it to be, because, man, we can fall in love with an impressive tower of faith. And I'd like to feel really impressive. But it's mine. And I'm convinced that I'm not leaning on this tower of faith, that my tower of faith is built on the one that I have faith in. I'm convinced that because of how my tower is rooted and who it is rooted in, that the storms of life may knock some bricks and some siding off of this tower, but it's going to hold in a way that a big, tall, unstable thing just wasn't going to. Kara Powell of the Fuller Institute, they've done a lot of research with teenage culture and and millennials because she's been doing this for a while. She said that they have found the number one eater of our souls and our faith is not doubt. The number one thing that eats against our souls and our faith is unexpressed doubt because it festers and it eats and we hide it and we don't know who to go to for questions and when we go to somebody in the church for questions, they tell us, no, 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 here's the answer. You should just believe this. Church, can we be a place where we're helping each other build really solid towers of faith that may not be the most impressive towers around, but they are firm and they're solid and they are rooted in Jesus? Can we be a place where we can ask hard questions? Maybe you've got a question that is rattling around in your brain that has been rattling there since you were 15 and somebody shut you down and you just wanna ask. Church, can we be a place where people can ask the hard questions so that it is not unexpressed doubt, but it is a, hey, this is hard for me and we can walk it out together. It's really tempting to see the people that we love struggling with their faith and to feel like it is some condemnation of us that we didn't do something right or that, that they're rejecting us because that's our tower after all. One of the things I love about our youth ministry is that I know it is a safe place for kids to come and ask questions to say, hey, I'm not so sure about this. Parents, if you've got kids at home, how are you actively making your house a place where kids can ask? How are all of us making our church and our homes a place where people can come with their doubts and know that they're loved? Sometimes they're going to push off and they're going to reject our faith because they are rejecting us and they're pushing away and that is so painful and they don't want us to stand next to them and put our arm around them and say, hey, let's work on this rubble. But 
But can we do everything in our power to be homes and neighborhoods and churches that are open to people asking the hard questions, to bringing up the thorny issues, to actually talking about it and say, hey, I know that bringing that up makes your tower feel really, really unstable right now. Can I tell you, it's not about your tower of faith, but it is the one your faith is in and that he is solid and firm and that you can build your life on him and he really, really does love you. And so I'm gonna do my very best to do the same. Let me pray for us as we do that. Father God, would you make us a people (laughs) who trust you with our questions? Who don't feel like we have to hide our doubts from each other? Who who aren't satisfied with just giving somebody a because I said so answer, but that we would we'd actually dig in. That we would trust you with our fears, that as, as the people we love are asking questions, as they're rejecting stuff, as they're tearing apart their towers, that we would trust you with our fears and our doubts of what it means for them. What it means about your love for them. Father, would you make this a safe space? Would you make us as a people, a safe people for questions to be asked, for doubts to be expressed? For somebody to say, I I don't know that I believe this anymore. And us to be able to say, well, I really want you to because I love you. Jesus, when we have doubts rise up in us, would you convince us of your steadiness, of your love for us. That our doubts don't scare you and that you really do honor our desire to be faithful and our honesty about our doubts. So we come to you with our things that we're sure of, our things we're doubting, our need to be loved, to ask, our desire to trust and follow you. Amen. Thanks for checking out our podcast. You can learn more or connect with us online at easthills.org.